Welcome to the March 5th Sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1-13, through 13, and the sermon is entitled, Self-Sacrifice, delivered today by Pastor Jeffrey Campbell. In your Bibles to Joshua. Did you come expecting something today? Amen. Listen, today I want you to know that we are the family together. And I don't know why you are here. I don't know what brought you here. But I came here to hear from Jesus. And so today as I approach worship, it's not about me and it's not about you. I want to tell you to turn to your neighbor and tell them it's not about you. Listen, friends, as we gather together on a Sunday morning, it's not about us. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the name on the church doors. It's about Jesus Christ, and that's why we come together. So today, my prayer is this. We will look over this series in four areas of our Christian life. And the first area that we're going to begin with today, we're going to look at it today and the next two Sundays, is we are going to look at ourself. And what it means as we come before God in a holy way, as God deals with us individually. Because before He can do anything with us, He must deal with us on an individual basis. And we have to deal with God on an individual basis. From there, we're going to look at self, we're going to look at our family, we're going to look at church, and we're going to look at worship. And we're going to look at why these four areas of our Christian life matter. So today, I pray over the next 12 weeks that we're going to learn a lot together. We're going to learn a lot about ourselves, we're going to learn a lot about God's Word, and we're going to learn a lot about each other. When we think about, it's not about me. It's not about me. This morning I had the opportunity to lead the teenagers in Sunday school. The first time since taking over this position that I've been able to do that. And I taught them a very, very, very simple lesson from the woman at the well. Most of you know that story. And that is this. Why do you keep coming to the same place if you're not getting what you're looking for? And so today, when we think about ourselves, why do you keep coming to the same spot Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, week after week, and you're coming maybe for the wrong reason, but you're not letting God deal with you. You're keeping God at a distance. Today, I want to break open God's Word in the book of Philippians chapter number 2 as we go there. And most of you know this about the life of Paul. Paul had great influence on the early church. Many of our New Testament books are letters that are penned by his hand. And when we think about Paul and his life, it allows us to look into the early church and what church should really be like. As I think about Paul, he was a great influence on the the field of missions. But he was also a great influence on the local church. And that is who this letter is written to, the church in Philippi. If you read through the book of Acts, in particular chapter number 16, you will will meet some of the people who Paul had a chance of meeting. Many of you know the name Lydia, a seller of purple cloth. That was one of the people that Paul ministered to. That is where the church began in Philippi. Many of you know the Philippian jailer. You remember that story, right? It was all because of the work of God and also the faithfulness of Paul to go. But now, Paul writes back to that little church in Philippi to give them instruction. How many of you like to be instructed on how to do do something? 
How many of you like correction? How many of you like a pat on the back? Oh, oh of course you like that. Paul writes to this church in, Philipp- in Philippi saying this. There's some instruction. There's some things that we need to fix. But there's also some things that you are doing really well. And so as we break open this letter of God today, I want to make it real to you, even though it was penned thousands of years ago. I, I want to make it real to you. Somewhere in the, in the time frame of 60 A.D. is when this letter was written. And so we're thinking about, hey, that, that was too long ago. We don't, we don't need that today. I'm here to tell you we need it. As we look at ourselves, the first place I want to start is this. A word that you may not like. And that is this, sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. What does that look like? I want you to know as this letter is written by the hand of Paul, it is written from the prison cell, a jail cell, not a place of influence, but it came to be that from Paul's life. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place where Paul spent his life there But he also had a message for the church to hear. And here we begin this word today. Philippians chapter number 2 verses, we're going to start with verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. The first point today, and as we talk about self-sacrifice, is this. It begins in Christ. I want you to look at verse number one, uh, verse number one of chapter 2. It says this. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ. Underline in your Bible those two words. Because here's the reality of it. I can give you a lot of advice. I can be a great person. But if it's not rooted in the foundation that Christ offers, it's only but so good. There's a lot of good people in this world. But they're not rooted in Christ. And there is an issue there. And so I want you to know as we think about sacrifice, the only way that I can sacrifice of myself and my efforts is only the strength of Christ in me. Does that make sense? I got two people that agree with me. Okay, thank you. In Christ. As Paul writes to this church in Philippi, here's what he says in verse number 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, there are four areas that are mentioned to this church. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get that great and wonderful picture of church in your mind. I'm not going to ask you this. Maybe you have a picture of church in your mind that is not good. I've been there. I understand that. And though we realize there's no perfect church, here's what church should offer the world. Listen to this. The first thing, the encouragement in Christ. Hopefully when you look at you are looking for a church family or you are a part of the church family, you encourage one another. Many churches pit believers against one another. 
And so, friends, I want you to know that church, at least one day or two days out of your week, should be a place of encouragement for you. And so Paul is telling this church, you've got to be an encouragement to one another. Friends, I want you to know, these people's lives were on the line for the gospel. Ours are not yet. But how many of you, after a long week or beginning a new week, need the encouragement of the people of God? You don't hear this day by day, and you may not recognize this, but this day, this day gives me the strength to do the rest of my days. And without the encouragement from one another, I can't do that. But that encouragement is rooted in Christ. The second thing that Paul mentions there is, if any comfort of love. Now, what in the world is that? That is a love for and of all people. Let me say that again. It is a love for and a love of all people. And we've got to get that right. I am not judge and jury. And so what I need to do is I need to show the love of Christ to whoever walks in that door. The woman at the well in which I taught this morning, Jesus knew everything and he still offered her love. Something that she didn't have. Today, my prayer is this. If nobody welcomed you here, I, I know that if you came through a door and somebody didn't get you, you found a secret spot, okay? But we need to be people that love one another. The, other, the third thing is the fellowship of the Spirit. And friends, I want you to know, I believe this is a strong suit of Clifford Baptist Church. The fellowship of the Spirit. What does fellowship mean? The fellowship of the body being together. Being involved one with another. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. But the fellowship of the Spirit is when believers come together. And you spend time together. And you're with other believers. It does the soul good. And the fourth thing is the affection and sympathy. Or as Paul puts it, if any bowels and mercies. The affection and sympathy that you are to have to one another. Anybody ever had a bad feeling about something? Where does that bad feeling originate? Right here. There's a lot of things in church that start right here with me, okay? That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But there's a lot of things that we carry and they, they rest right here. And that's what Paul is talking about. The bowels and mercy. And from that place, affection and sympathy come out. I want you to know that is the origination of where they, they, they start is here. So friends, I want you to know there's a lot that Paul is encouraging the church to do. But now how do we relate this? Look at verse number 2. Paul writes, Fulfill ye my joy... That ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Where does the encouragement, where does the love, where does the fellowship of the Spirit, and where does the affection and sympathy come from? Where is it rooted? It is rooted, as you see in the first verse, in Christ. But it is rooted in our lives and to be spread to others. Paul says this, complete my joy by doing this, listen, together. Together. 
I want you to do a quick look around to the people that are around you. Friends, here's what I want to tell you. There's a lot that goes on in this thing that we call life that is hard. That is hard. And if you try to do it on your own, your wisdom, your own knowledge, your own effort, it will fall flat. But if you have some trusted brothers and sisters that will not gossip but will rally around you, friends, that's where we work together. The church in Philippi had to work together. And the church in Clifford, 2,000 years later, has to do the same thing. If we don't work together, we will fall and fail very quickly. I love the words in in verse number 2 that Paul uses. Like-minded, same love, one accord, one a mind. It spoke of a people that were unified to do the work of God. Here's my question as I think about this. How can we take our eyes off of self and put them on God and others? Listen to me. How do we do that? The only way that we can possibly do that is to look at Christ first. Today, you may be here and you may be stagnant in your faith. You may be looking to do more or you may be trying to figure out what more God has for you. If you take your eyes off of yourself and put them on others, ministry opportunities explode. And so I want to encourage you today, as you walk in on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night, or if you go to the grocery store or if you go to Walmart, put your eyes on other people. Because that's where you see the need for Jesus. So today I want to encourage you in this fact. As we look at ourselves and we look at self-sacrifice, it must begin in Christ. And we must do that. Look at verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. The word other is used twice in those two verses. But how many times have we seen our own children learn the word mine? How quickly do they learn that word? We don't even have to teach it. They understand that this toy is mine. And that you spend the rest of your time trying to teach your kid to share with another kid. I don't think things change in the teenage years. And I may not think they change when we become adults. How many of us, listen to me, not that it's bad, are worried about my family, my spouse, my job, my credibility, my stance, Where I am. And friends, I want you to know, if you go through life with that kind of attitude, you have your eyes in a selfish way on yourself. Now look, I want to say here, i got to have a job, and I want to take care of my family. There's nothing wrong with that. But these verses teach us to put our eyes and our mind on other people and put them in front of ourselves. Think of others first. That is point number two. Think of others first. 
When we look at strife and vainglory and what that means, it is a selfish ambition that tries to advance yourself over others. And when you think of that mindset that invades a church, or that can invade a church, that Paul warns Philippi about, we can't have that here. Because, look, look to your neighbor again and say, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. Do I use this in a jokingly manner? No, I'm pretty serious about it. Because we as Christians think this day is about us and it is not. We think our lives is about us. But what happened when I gave my life to Jesus, I said, here Jeffrey is, take it and use it. And when I look at other people, I would much rather Others be lifted up than the name of Jeffrey go anywhere. Friends, today, Paul reminds the church, don't look at your own things. Don't look out for yourself. Look out for others. It is the heartbeat which drives the mission work of the church. So how can we do that? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. Very simple verse. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so, family today, self-sacrifice Puts somebody else before you. That's a hard pill to swallow. Point number three. Look at verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you as also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." That's a verse to say amen after. We like the ending of those verses. But point number three, when we talk about self-sacrifice, here is that point. It is a mindset. Paul says this, Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. And Paul does a tremendous job here. And explaining Jesus Christ and the person of Christ making his way to the cross to save mankind from their sin. Then being exalted as Savior of the world. But here's the question. Why, why, why did Jesus leave heaven? Why would he do that? He would do it for every single one of us. Paul puts Jesus, look at verse number Six, Paul puts Jesus 
with God from the very beginning. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Paul puts him there, and then I want you to see what happens. As Paul writes to the church in Philippi, here's what he says. God poured himself out into man through Jesus Christ. And you see a a descending of Jesus to the earth. A descending of Jesus to his people. A descending of Jesus. I want you to see that through the first part of this. Being made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So it, Paul paints a picture of God coming down and descending to this earth to save mankind. But at verse number 9. You see Paul painting a picture of Jesus Christ being lifted and exalted above all. Friends, today, when I think of a mindset of Christ, there is one little phrase in this scripture that blows my mind. And it comes in verse number 7. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant And was made in the likeness of man. The God of all the universe chose. Listen to me. Chose to come down. Chose to be fashioned as a man. Chose to be made of no reputation. Chose to be humbled. Chose to become a servant. To demonstrate how you and I should live our lives. Friends, when's the last time that we have taken that servant's position within the community? For somebody else. Not for your wife or not for your kids. Not for your church family. But for somebody you did not know. This is the position that Jesus came to forgive us of ourselves. He emptied himself of all humanity and came and came and came to be Savior of the world. Friends, today, what kind of mindset do we have when we come to church? What kind of mindset do you have at quarter to twelve when the preacher's not halfway done yet? What kind of mindset do you have? Listen to me. What kind of mindset do we approach the holiness of God with? Is it a hurry up, God, you're on my time? Or is it, God, I want to be on your time? There's a mindset that Christians today are missing. And that mindset involves, number one, it's not about you. But number two, we must look upon others with the servant heart that Christ We must humble ourselves as he did. We must become servants as he did. We must be obedient to God the Father. And in those moments, that's when he will lift us up. True sacrifice today follows the mindset of Christ. There are two verses that I want to finish out with today. Verses 12 and 13. And those verses... Read like this, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both and will, uh, to will and to do of his good pleasure. The fourth point when we think about self-sacrifice is it calls us to obedience. Now you've got to remember who this is going to. It is going to Christians. It is written to believers in Philippi to be obedient no matter the cost. But here's what Paul says in verse number 12. He says, wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed. Do you see that? You've been faithfully obedient to whatever I've asked you to do, to whatever God's asked you to do. You have been an obedient church. Not only when I was there, but in my absence, you show your obedience. Now, here's where I look at my own life. No matter what the future looks like, the one thing that we must kind of agree on is this. No matter what the future looks like, it calls every single one of us to be obedient in Christ. What does that look like for this many people? What does that look like in our church? Well, the answer here is given at the end of verse number 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It is not my job as the pastor to tell you exactly every decision you need to make. You've got to work some things out on your own. And Paul is writing to a church where his presence is not there. He's in a jail cell. The church must continue on. So he, inv he invites them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. What in the world does that mean? Well, here's what it means. You must apply faith to your life. You must imitate Jesus. You can't become more like Jesus unless God does the work. I'm going to give you two examples here. The, the written word originally in the Greek is written to that of a mine. All right, everybody get a mine in your picture as the as the whatever you're mining for is underground. It is there. You know it's there. You've got to work to get it. So as we work out our own salvation, as you've been saved, it's there. But it's up to you to live your life and to, to, to work it out, spending your life trying to live for Jesus, whatever that looks like. Your life lived for Jesus will look very different than my life. We may have some of the same things, but it's up to you to work out. The other analogy I want to use is a math problem. Anybody here like math? Good, I don't either. Actually, I, lie, I don't mind math. But here's the thing. In school, I took math. You could do one of two ways. You could do that math problem, and you could get the answer, and you could give the answer. But if you do not show your work, you get half credit. If you show all your work and the steps you've taken to figure out that math problem, you get all the credit if you get it right. Now, picture that as your salvation. When you think about your salvation and you're working out your salvation, what does that look like? What are you showing? Works will not save you. Listen to me, okay? But God working through you will allow your salvation to be worked out. That's what it says. Look at verse 
Number 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Back at me real quick as I close this down. There are some of you that are not getting full credit for your faith. Because you're not letting God work through you to get everything that is intended from the Christian life. And so, though you may spend hours sitting in a church, friends, church don't cut it. Church doesn't cut it. That's just a small piece of the pie to show our faithfulness. The Bible is clear that works will not save. Ephesians Chapter number 2, verses 8 and 9. Here's what God's Word says. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You cannot work your way to a salvation. That's not what I'm preaching. But once you are saved, there is a gold mine that needs to be mined. And you need to let God go to work. And you need to let God chip away. And you need to let God direct you on what you need to do and how you need to spend the rest of your life serving your great God. Is that clear? I'm tired. I'm tired of Christians, number one, getting a bad rap. But I'm tired, number two, of Christians not getting the full blessing of salvation. Because we're not doing the work. Imitate Christ. Imitate Christ. Friends, today I close the book on self-sacrifice. I close the book today on our sermon. But here's what I want to tell you. As you think about the full benefits of the relationship you have with Jesus Christ, are you getting all of it? Are you getting the blessing of laying your life down and serving someone else? Are you getting the blessing of hitting your knees when somebody says, Will you pray for me? And praying. Are you getting the blessing of possibility of your life leading somebody else to Jesus Christ? Friends, I want you to know that I believe that these are some powerful words that we look at today. And we as a church have some work to do. Today, as I think about an invitation, I want to extend an invitation to anybody who feels like God is working. God is working. Jeffrey, I don't know what that looks like. I spent the early, I spent 10 years of my life trying to figure out what God wanted me to do. And at 40 years old, I'm not sure I've, I've got it all yet. I'm nowhere near that. But it's okay to say, God, here are my gifts. Here's where I'm good at. God, here I am. Use me to influence somebody else's life. Today, if that's your prayer, I pray that you will come. But also, a note to self. If you have not sacrificed self, here's what I want you to consider today. Get your eyes off of you and look to how you can help somebody else. For Jeffrey to get better is not to lift Jeffrey up. But for Jeffrey to get better is to build those up around him. Friends, I today, I pray that is our mindset 
together. That we put others first using Christ as our example. As Paul lays out the perfect sacrifice for the sins of every person. He leaving heaven, coming to a cross, dying for sin. That is the picture of salvation. And then one day and one day soon, he will be lifted up as Lord of all, over all. Today, if you are here and you feel the Holy Spirit working in your life, that you've never sacrificed your, your heart, your life to Christ and say, Christ, here it is. It's yours. Take it. I'm calling you to that point of sacrifice. To lay down your life and to pick up the life that Jesus offers through his, through, through his shed blood on a cross. And forgiveness of your sin. That you can have a relationship with him. Today, church family, what does self-sacrifice look like? How can we get better? And how will you allow it to change how you minister to others around you? Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity where we come before your holy word and before a holy God. In this moment of invitation, Lord, I pray that your spirit would move. It would move in such a way, Lord, that it would bring people to the foot of the cross. It would allow people to look at themselves. God, I pray that as we look at ourselves, Lord, that as we see others, it matters. God, I pray that we as a church will always be in our community looking to change people's lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray every individual life in this room is a representative of that life-changing power. Today we offer this moment of invitation for that one that needs Jesus as Savior, for the one that has backslidden and fallen away and just wants to come back to the Father, or that one that simply says, Lord, help me to be more like you. Lord, take over this time, I pray, as we do business with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.